2: As the United States is facing what is potentially a second consecutive quarter with negative economic growth and with many concerned the Fed will once again raise interest rates, White House officials are looking to redefine what a recession is.
0: We have a strong labor market, which you don't normally see in a recession. Uh, That is very uncommon. Uh, to see that. Uh, when you see an average of a uh, four hundred thousand jobs created per month, when you see an unemployment at three point six, which is historical, that does not uh, that does not define a recession.
2: And after two years of Democrats calling to defund the police, the Senate Judiciary Committee convenes a hearing this week on protecting law enforcement officers. For this and more, we bring in our panel, USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page editor of The Spectator at Large, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, and Fox News congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram. Chad, the redefining of recession, how does that play on Capitol Hill? I mean, there are people, Democrats in um, tough races, that doesn't usually fly at home.
0: Well, most uh, voters probably don't know what the technical definition of a recession is in economic terms, but they sure know what it's like to go to the gas pump, to go to the grocery store. And if they're feeling a recession, you know, a lot of economy is based on feel, then guess what? It's probably, quote, a recession. Now, I thought it was interesting today. You had John Cornyn, Republican senator from Texas, coming up and saying anytime they start to quibble with the definition of a recession, that tells you how much, uh, you know, trouble they're in here. Also, Rick Scott, the Republican senator, Senator from Florida, the chair of the NRSC in charge of getting Republicans elected to the Senate. He came with a chart with the definition of a recession and said, you know, they're playing with fire here. They are trying to change the definition. So Republicans are already seizing on this because they know that the public is feeling something else, regardless of what that econometric definition is.
2: Susan, do we think the, the president, the White House know what the GDP number is going to be? thursday and what about this effort to redefine what a recession is or how it feels
1: you know i don't think they know for sure what the number is going to be the predictions are that it will be show, show a very low level of growth but it will only have to slip a bit to become uh, a contraction and meet that uh, the definition uh, that that chad just mentioned two quarters two consecutive quarters of negative growth uh, but you know they're in, they're in I think they're walking a kind of tightrope because on the one hand, they don't want voters to think they're in a recession. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, as Chad, as Chad said, uh, maybe we're not in a technical recession, but it feels like one to a lot of Americans on the other hand, they don't want to look like they're completely out of touch. And this is something that happened with the white house when inflation started to be a problem. You remember they initially said it was a passing phenomenon and that turned out not to be true at all. And just trying to issue that sort of, Pre-defense on inflation made them look out of touch and like they didn't know what was going on and weren't in contact with the lives of of, of ordinary Americans. So this is a really uh, a treacherous moment for them, and I think uh, this defense of their their uh, they've been mounting all week. You know, it's been the White House press secretary, it's been the Treasury secretary, it's been others trying to argue that technically maybe we're not headed into a recession.
2: Yeah, and Ben. Obviously, there's concern on Wall Street about what the Fed is going to do looking at inflation going forward, that they may actually increase what the projections are for interest rate hikes and a lot of, you know, wondering what's next. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably true for, you know, the political situation as well.
3: Absolutely, Brent. I mean, one of the things that I think we are learning about this White House is that they really are – incapable of uh, having uh, a ready-made spin to deal with the degree of difficulty that our economic situation is putting so many people through, whether it comes to uh, inflation or whether it comes to the cost of energy. Uh, w- what we are really seeing, I think, unfortunately, is a White House that doesn't really have a lot of solutions uh, for the situation that they're facing and is also uh, really limited in their ability to advance policy, you know, and uh, about to be more limited if things go the way that we all expect them to in November. In terms of trying to deliver any kind of policy change to the american people along the lines of what they believe uh, unfortunately for them as much as they might try to reframe the dynamics or definitions of the situation. Uh, The American people really do not feel good about this economy. Uh, Whatever the White House says to them is unlikely to change that feeling. And unfortunately, they are going to probably see a situation where their party is going to reap the ramifications of that difficulty.
2: One thing the Democratic Party is clearly doing is running again on former President Trump. And just the mention of him, the January 6th committee, uh, Chad, The committee is pausing now, but will restart in September and, you know, has laid out this case chronologically, understanding that there's not a minority, there's not a pushback on the other side or cross-examination, but still seems to have moved the needle, perhaps, in independents and moderate Republicans.
0: Something that we have seen already here is this uh, the polling has reflected that maybe some of what the 16 committee is doing is cutting through to some of these voters. Uh, the idea that, uh, you know, the president, the former president, is not as popular as he once was. As I put it the other day, you know, what the committee really is aiming to do right now is let this information, this font of information that they put out in June and July marinate with the public. And, you know, they've already started to you know create memes about Josh Hawley and others and everything else. And so we really don't know the impact of that until we get down the road. But it seems that there is a dent there with uh, President Trump that did not exist uh, that long ago. And remember... When you talk to Liz Cheney, uh, you know, the ranking Republican on this committee, she has always said this is all about keeping the former president away from the Oval Office in 2024. So even if that's just, you know, a few points down, you know, you've always had President Trump always struggled to get out of the, you know, low 40s, upper 30s in terms of his approval rating. If you get just a little bit lower than that, that's a real problem when you go out to run for president and have to win in some of these key swing states if he were to run in 2024.
2: Meantime, former President Trump and former Vice President Pence, different sides of endorsements in different states around the country in Washington, talking to the America First um, gathering. Susan, you have uh, new polls at USA Today about uh, the impact of January 6th committee.
1: We do. And and what we found was that uh, Democrats and Republicans have mostly just reinforced their views about what happened on January 6th, after listening to the committee. But there was some impact on independence. Among independents, 60% said the hearings hadn't had any effect on what they thought about January 6th or what they thought about Donald Trump. But, but about three in 10 said it had made them think, number one, that the uh, events on January 6th were more serious than they had thought. And number two, that President Trump was more involved in them than they thought before the hearing. So that may that may go to the dent. Uh, That you see, uh, Chad just mentioned, it's not a it's not a huge number. It doesn't involve Republicans who remain remain very determined in their view that it was not an important event and that that President Trump's involvement wasn't inappropriate. But it is something.
2: It is something, Ben. Yeah, I think one of
3: the things that it, we have to you know respect in this moment is that the January 6th committee probably made the best of what they could possibly do in terms of production value, in terms of advancing the argument that they did. Uh, but I think that we also have to keep in mind they were advancing an argument that was largely appreciated uh, by the likes of uh, Chris Hayes at MSNBC and Stephen Colbert and a lot of other people who are out there who are naturally interested in furthering that message you know ultimately i think that republicans who Uh, are going to be headed to the polls in the fall, are not going to be uh, abused of the notion that they ought to vote for the GOP because of anything revealed by the January 6th committee. I think that they've made up their minds largely, uh, and instead it is more designed to uh, gin up support among those who were already, you know, uh, generally, temperamentally uh, inclined toward the view that the Republican Party and the coalition that it represents uh, is a danger to democracy in America. Uh, Unfortunately, for the people who've advanced that argument, they're about to see a lot more new Republicans in Washington in both the House and to a degree the Senate. uh, And that's unlikely to change in any way in the coming months.
2: We'll hear more after this from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
2: Chad, the other thing that's raising eyebrows on Capitol Hill is the possibility of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi taking a trip to Taiwan. She announced this. Uh, It got immediate pushback from China. It then got pushed back surprisingly from President Biden, who said the U.S military really didn't want her to do that at this moment. But then there is strange bedfellows in bipartisan support for her to do it with a bipartisan, um, you know coalition of lawmakers to go, a codell. So where are we on this? Is she going?
0: You know, we're back to this whole idea back from the Cold War that uh, foreign policy, you know, uh, you know, starts at the water's edge, you know, that there's a difference there. And this is why you have those strange bedfellows. I mentioned Rick Scott earlier, Republican from Florida. He had been to Taiwan not too long ago. Uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, was just asked a bit ago as to whether or not he would go. Uh, And he said, well, for me, a long trip is to Buffalo. He said, but I have a great deal of respect for the speaker. And it was interesting that Mitch McConnell weighed in on this Uh, unsolicited. At his press conference, uh, the Senate minority leader indicated he said he said we shouldn't be debating whether or not the speaker should be going to Taiwan or not. But so that they make sure that Taiwan has the proper weapons to potentially defend itself against the Chinese if they were to invade. And it was interesting that there was a reporter at the press conference asked mcconnell about this well what if she says that she isn't going to go now to be very clear the speaker has been very cryptic about this she said well i don't discuss my my plans here uh most leaders don't do that out loud because of security concerns uh there's a variety of reasons she's done a controversial travel in the past as the speaker of the house so you know they try to keep this kind of close to the vest And, you know, so McConnell was asked by this reporter, Matt Kay, said, hey, you know, what happens if uh, she doesn't go? And Mitch McConnell says, well, if she doesn't go now, after all this, she has, in essence, handed China a victory of sorts, his term. So that is a very interesting dynamic because we've had all this rumble the past couple of weeks of whether or not the speaker will go. And then after all that, if she doesn't go, the optic is very bad for the speaker and also for the U.S. with China. It probably gives China the upper hand.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, the politics of turning that around. Susan, the issue of China, of China's dominance, of China's actions, of China's malicious actions uh, to the U.S., it seems to be gaining prominence as far as a political issue.
1: You know, you'd have to say Nancy Pelosi has been 100 percent consistent on her view of China from her earliest days in Congress. She has taken a very hard line against China, especially on the issue of, of human rights she you know she's done this not just to to the uh, consternation of some republican presidents but to bill clinton when he was president you remember when hillary clinton went and addressed the un conference on women in beijing uh, nancy pelosi not yet speaker of the house uh, objected to that thought that was a bad idea that uh, it wasn't uh, good to give china that Kind of big American figure, the first lady to speak uh, there. So she, I, I, I've got to say, uh, uh, I've covered Nancy Pelosi a long time. I would be very surprised if she did not make this trip, uh, because it is quite uh, consistent with the views she has taken for so long. And I think that she uh, likes to try to, on this issue, stiffen the spines of presidents of whichever party they belong.
2: Last thing, Ben, I mean, the Biden administration seems a bit vulnerable on the issue of China, China policy and what's behind their decision making.
3: You know, I think there are a lot of questions there regarding the Biden administration. Obviously, you know, some of those questions have been uh, driven by the relationships that Hunter Biden has had uh, within uh, China. Uh, But I do think that, you know, when it comes to this issue, uh, you know, one thing that the uh, former President Trump uh, really achieved in terms of Uh, his approach to changing the way that a lot of people perceived china as an issue uh, was to make it more of a domestic kitchen table issue for a lot of voters Uh, people who hadn't really been exposed to the threat of china not just as an economic force but as something that we had to worry about in every aspect of american life Uh, i think that's something that's happened uh, both due to him politically but also organically, we shouldn't underestimate the level to which TikTok has changed the way that people perceive uh, the the way that their uh, teenagers are acting in terms of a, an app that has been uh, obviously compromised and run out of China in ways that is, uh, are pretty disturbing when you look into it. Uh, the way that politicians talk to me about it uh, on both uh, in both parties on Capitol Hill uh is uh, very different than the way it was just a few years ago and i think that a lot of the illusions of china as being a nation that we could do business with uh, and uh, could see move in a positive direction have really been swept away in the past few years uh, we will see what happens in terms of the way this plays out in the 2024 stakes uh, but it really does seem to me that the american people have woken up to the uh, fact that china cannot be treated as a neutral actor uh, in so many different aspects of our policy.
2: I try to be fair and balanced in my reporting. I try to cover both sides, talk about both sides. But I'm telling you what, if Congress outlaws TikTok, I'm all for it. I cannot get my two boys off of that thing. I can't get them off of it.
3: I've tried them.
2: I've said, listen, this is really not good for the country. You don't know who's controlling it. And nothing. They will not get off it. They're fully addicted. And then I saw a story that China's version of TikTok is about making them better people and yes. like expanding their thoughts about arts and studying and everything else. And that is not the version of TikTok that we get in the
3: U.S. No, they're teaching them to do dumb dances, Brett. It's not a good thing.
0: Brett, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is why we watch your show at night. This is about making us better people. That's, what that's we, right. That's why i come to your show every in the evening. For,
2: yeah. One viewer at a time. All right, panel, thank you so much. Now for a bit of history. On July 26, 1990, President George Herbert Walker Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Disabilities Act into law and at the signing said, let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down. The bill provided civil rights protections to individuals with physical and mental disabilities, guaranteeing them equal opportunities in public accommodations, employment, transportation, and government services. In late September of 2008, President George W. Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Amendments Act, which rejected Supreme Court decisions that altered the original intent of the bill. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Ben, Chad, and Susan, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.